Hold down. Hold silent. Going, going, going. Go, Welcome to the Current Market Insights Podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. Each episode, we chat with real estate author and industry leader, Peter O'Malley, to discuss the current property market conditions and provide insights to assist you on your property journey. and welcome to another edition of Current Market Insights. I'm your host, Kieran O'Brien, and as always, I have my good friend and principal of Harris Partners Real Estate with me, Mr. Peter O'Malley. Hello. G'day, Kieran. Great to see you. Great to see you, Peter. I just want to jump straight into it today. Uh, we've spoken before about people looking to sell before the end of the year and the steps they might need to take if they are to come to market in what is a pretty narrow time frame. Uh, I thought we might just have a bit of a chat and get your expertise around the elements that buyers and sellers may need to consider that they may not have considered in a very narrow sort of sales window as we come towards December and the end of the year. Look, Kieran, I think the big takeout of the current property market is there's been a late shift in how it's performing. Most people acknowledge that it's been a surprisingly up year for the property market, but the uh, rate rise in November has had a profound impact that is what's flowing through. Auction clearance rates have been dropping every weekend since that rate increase on Melbourne Cup Day, and they're actually falling before that as well in the lead-in, given that the uh, the rate rise was essentially a lock and people knew it was coming. Last weekend, uh, it was an interest uh, auction clearance rate of 48.8%, and a lot of those auctions were either properties that sold prior to auction, meaning there was not the deep competitive pool of buyers to hold the auction, or they were one or two buyer auctions and they managed to get the transaction done on the day. That's of the 48.8% that are counted as successes last weekend. So if you are a seller and you have got a good buyer on the line, in the absence of another competing buyer, you might be better off securing the deal whilst it's in front of you. I think a lot of what were probably going to be February campaigns have been dragged forward to be late November to pre-Christmas auction campaigns. Never have I seen so much stock come to market this late in the year. And I think it's a direct reflection of vendors don't want to chance their arm in the new year. There's great debate, as we know, in economic circles as to whether the RBA will be forced to go again in February. We won't know the data that the RBA relies upon until late January. But there's uh, an interesting twist in the RBA's commentary too, Kieran, if I can highlight that at the moment in the context of the property market. Michelle Bullock has highlighted that the inflation cannot be explained away as being supply side inflation, i.e. global inflation. Uh, Bullock has highlighted that we are now seeing demand side inflation, meaning that as Warren Hogan of Judo Bank highlighted a few weeks ago, and we mentioned it on this podcast, what the RBA are seeing is that fuel, rents, wages are all contributing to domestically generated inflation, which is going to potentially force the RBA to increase again in February. And I think you put all that into the mix, you see a few buyers step back out of the market, you see a few vendors push their plans forward and their properties into the market, and then suddenly the fairly rosy environment that vendors were enjoying for six or seven months there has just noticeably tightened in the last few weeks. So essentially what you're sort of saying is that if you are selling with the the level of uncertainty that we're facing now for the next, you know, 8 to 12 weeks until the next 
decision whichever way it may go. Their best bet really is to latch onto to any good buyers that are in the market right now and try and close out that deal before any you know any other spanner can be thrown in the works that may impact that decision. Look, it is contextual. It's a case by case basis. But what I'd be encouraging our clients to do and people that are coming to market is if you do come across a fair-minded good offer, fair-minded buyer who makes a good offer for your property, in the absence of a superior offer, you should really consider going with that because I'm not sure we're going to see anything better in the new year. Nor do I want to say that if interest rates don't increase in February that the property market is running on some sort of uh, trajectory that's fine. Um, The mortgage cliff that people think we've cleared has not been cleared. It still has to occur. Um, We've discussed it before, but tens of thousands of people's mortgages have not reset yet to current market rates, and that will happen in the next three to four months. So even without a rate rise in February, the market's still got many challenges to overcome. Can I say that the November rate rise has not hit yet? A lot of people know that we've had a rate rise in November, but they probably haven't. They've received a letter saying from the bank saying your mortgage is going up, but they haven't actually had the extra amount taken out of their account yet. So there's still many challenges for the market to clear before we can say it's all on solid footing. Yeah, definitely. I know uh, we we got a rate rise, sadly, on our mortgage, uh, but it doesn't come into effect until the first week of January. So even though that November rise is there, there is a lag in seeing that on the coalface. I think it's fair to say, too, that it's important to recognise potentially that the rates being on hold is not as good as a cut. For someone who's sustaining much higher interest rates and a much higher cost of living across the board, holding in some ways is just as tough as a rate rise, obviously not as tough in, in real terms, uh, but it's certainly the only relief is going to be rate cuts for a lot of people and that's still potentially a very long way off for the market. It looks to be a long way off for sure. Um, some will speculate that rate cuts will need to come sooner than everyone expects because there will be a hard hard landing point for the property market and the economy. Hopefully that's not the case. Um, I think the RBA, they're, they're, they're pretty brave when they, they need to be and they will cut if, if the numbers suggest that. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, rates staying at these levels is chewing up a lot of households' economic runway, if you like. So the buffer they had built in in terms of cash savings after COVID, assets um, that may have been you know, generating positive cash flow is being tipped back in and sold off to, to reduce debt burdens. So Australians being a, you know, as wealthy as we are as a country have had a lot of uh, options available to us in the face of rising rates, but not everyone. Uh, enjoys that luxury and there are some people over Christmas that uh, are absolutely drowning in the way that the interest rate curve has worked against them in the last uh, two years. So given you are on the ground every week talking with sellers, meeting with buyers, one of the things that I often think about in the property sales space is that usually for a deal to come together, there's a couple of things that need to happen. You need obviously a good price or an expectation from the seller and you need a reasonable market understanding from the buyer and, and the two come together and negotiate a sale. That's the general premise, right? In your experience at the moment, are you finding that with the sales you are achieving or that your sellers are achieving, which side is, is compromising more at the moment, do you think, in, in terms of where they would ideally like to be? Uh, look, I think if you're seeing an auction clearance rate of 48.8%, you're seeing vendors are not adjusting um, quick enough to the market conditions. And as a realtor, the hardest part of the cycle is when there's a downward shift in prices because the people that are least likely and last to accept 
a shift in market conditions are vendors. Of course, yeah. Um, and that's probably the environment that we're coming into and a lot of people are saying, oh, it could be the interest rates that have slowed the market down but it's probably Christmas, isn't it? And it's like, no, Christmas is normally a pretty good time for selling property in the lead-in to Christmas because buyers want to secure something for the new year. What has changed is that we've seen a surge of stock after talking all year about how low stock levels are. Um, agents are carrying an unusual amount of stock and that probably feels good at the short term, when, in the short term when you think you're the only agency that's suddenly stocked up in the lead into Christmas and then when you look on uh, on uh, the web portals and you see that a lot of other firms have suddenly got large inventory h- hitting into Christmas, it becomes a whole lot less exciting because as a realtor you know that uh, too, many, too many vendors hitting for the exit door at the same time only means one thing. So would it be fair to say that if you are a seller on the market at the moment and you really do need to achieve a sale for whatever reason that may be, whatever the motivation is, being a little bit proactive with your own motivations and your willingness to, I guess, consider all the elements at play is their best chance of of really closing out a sale before the year is up? Look, they need to go and have a look at similar properties in their marketplace that are open for inspection and up for auction and see how those properties are performing. This is where you're in trouble if you choose a real estate agent because they've got a cheap commission um, they quoted, overquoted the promise you a big price, the yeah. big price to to win the listing, or there was some other sort of secondary or baseless reason as to why you selected that agent, because you want to be able to trust the advice that's coming from 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 your agent, and and as agents in the field every Saturday, as you say, we feel the shift in buyer sentiment first, and then we've got to have the courage as real estate agents and as an industry to go back and communicate that to vendors. And where that's problematic is there's still some buyers who think it's a rising or a booming market out there that are paying overs for the odd property. So as a vendor, you're not seeing a consistency in how the market's playing at the moment. Some properties are getting a little bit over, some are hitting market price and some might be coming in under. And there's no rhyme or reason as to how the market seems to be playing in your segment. Therefore, you're wholly reliant on the advice and guidance of, of your real estate agent at that point in time. And if you don't inherently trust their competence level and their integrity level, your campaign is going to hit the rocks. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's really important too to recognise that the vast majority of media reporting around real estate is not going to tell you about the 99% of sales that sit in the mid-range. It's going to tell you about the, the 1% or the half percent that's right at the top and the half percent that's right at the bottom. So as a vendor, you may be getting very unrealistic pictures of where you sit just based on the extremes on either end. As an agent over 25 years, I'm constantly cautioning and arguing against the outlier sales. So I think there was a property out at Villawood Way that sold for like $2 million over the reserve uh, a yeah, month Wally ago. Park or something maybe, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, every vendor wanted to know why that buyer hadn't looked at their property last Saturday. So, yes, the media, which is fair enough, they're, they're, they've got their own uh, agendas to, to meet, will always highlight the, uh, the outlier and, you know, outliers happen in, in all real estate offices. But uh, at the end of the day, there's usually a, uh, a dominant trend that's flowing through. And that's where as a, as a vendor at the moment, to answer your question, um, you need to know what that dominant trend is from your agent 
going into the marketplace to auctions and open houses for yourself. See if the trend that your agent reporting is the trend that you're seeing, whether you like that trend or not. And if it is, adjust accordingly because we're, we're at Harris Partners, we're really focused at the moment on getting as many of our existing listings sold heading into Christmas. We actually don't have a great energy toward 2024 campaigns because I've got a feeling there's going to be plenty once we get there once people come out of Christmas um, I think there will be some um, some selling there in response to everything we've just discussed today so we're, we're putting our focus on capturing um, the right sale for our clients and moving them on knowing that uh, there'll be a new wave of stock in the new year you don't want to be one of those listings that's hanging around over Christmas and coming back for take two in 2024 when you're competing against all the fresh stock there's a big wor- word of warning for, for any vendors that are thinking of doing that. Certainly good advice. And and again, Peter, as you always do, you highlight the importance of really selecting your agent correctly to make sure that you're, you're best advised. Before we sort of move off the topic, I'd really love to get your thoughts just on the other side of the equation then. We've spoken a fair bit now about the, the vendors or the sellers and what they need to consider. Anything in particular the buyers need to be sort of cognizant of at the moment, uh, given that many sellers, as you say, are the last to react. They're in a difficult market. There's so much uncertainty. Is there any sort of, uh, I guess, obstacles or tricks that buyers need to think about in the next few weeks? Look, the market is throwing up a little bit more uh, opportunity for buyers than it has in the last six or seven months. And if you are determined to buy a good property at a fair price, by all means, go out and you should be able to achieve that at the moment. If your uh, pure objective is to take advantage of someone or buy a bargain, grab a bargain, as I as we constantly hear in the field, the only properties in, in the inner west that sell for a bargain is the properties that no one else wants because they've got a flaw of some sort. So if the market is being a little bit kinder to you as a buyer at the moment, aim to secure good quality real estate not for a bargain price because you won't buy good quality real estate in any environment at a bargain price, but look to get it at the right and fair current market price and that'll do well for you over time. I think what I consistently see from home buyers, not every home buyer, but what I consistently see from buyers when a market is a little bit wobbly is they they go looking for seller distress in the marketplace and I just don't think that's uh, uh, the right basis to be judging a piece of real estate on being the vendor's motivation. No, good advice. As you say, it's such a popular location. No one's going to get you a, uh, a bargain without some obvious reason. I'd love to move on, Pete. Uh, you know, we talk about house prices. It, it's a constant topic in Australia, really, is part of our fabric here, I think. Uh, I just read recently that up in Queensland, uh, the Premier up there, uh, has decided to boost, you know, rethink, uh, re-innovate the, the First Home Buyers Grant as many, many leaders do in this country. I'd love to get your thoughts on what that looks like, whether you think it's going to have much impact on the housing market up there and whether you think it may lay any sort of platform for the other states to potentially follow again. Uh, look, yeah, I would describe what Anastasia Palaszczuk has done over the weekend by increasing the First Homeowners Grant to $30,000 as a political bribe. It's poor policy. I was I was really happy to see, for want of a better word, happy to see left-wing journalists and economists critical of this move. It is nothing more than a policy to hold and win votes between now and just after the Queensland election. It's so blatant and flawed in its attempt to buy votes that I hope it backfires spectacularly. Both sides of politics have played around with first homeowners grants to stimulate housing markets, uh, which is fine. The Rudd government 
introduced the first homeowners grant in the in the GFC in 2008 with great success and got great value for money for it and it was completely justified. So I'm not looking to make a political point here um, because that the, the Rudd government used it as it should have been to bring confidence and stimulus at a time that the economy needed it. The RBA, state governments doing everything they can to lower inflation, to keep less pressure on the RBA, and then they've come up with this policy, which is nothing more than a political bribe in order to save votes at the time. Now, we all know one thing about first a home buyer grants or any sort of home buyer grants is it's named a home buyer grant, but it becomes very quickly a vendor bonus. Well, it's the homeowner's grant, isn't it? Because the uh, the first home buyer doesn't own the home yet, but just grants the money to the uh, to the seller. That's right. So what history has shown us, if you, uh, in 2008, if Kevin Rudd offered you $7,000 assistance for a first homeowner's grant, property prices jumped by, I think it was John Howard who introduced 7000 actually. Yeah, in, Rudd doubled it to fourteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Howard came in at 7000 and and property prices at that time it jumped somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000. Uh, Rudd came in with 14000 then suddenly properties jumped by 30000 in value. Fast forward 15 years and the Queensland government feel like they need a, uh, you know, a, a weapon to, to hold uh, uh, votes because they're politically um, under enormous pressure heading into this election. So they've come in at 30000 So I'll tell you what will happen. Property prices in Queensland will jump by fifty or 60000 yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in in researching a bit for this episode, Peter, I did look up some some prior studies, you know, done by some some universities here in Australia. And in particular, there was a study done just after Rudd's stimulus by researchers at Deakin down in Melbourne, and they were down in Geelong, and they looked at uh, the impact of the first homeowners grant on house prices, and they could confidently show through data that historically it would increase uh, on average house prices by roughly 19 to 20%. Now, when you've got a grant of, let's say, 30000 and the property market's already climbing in Brisbane and has been doing, we'll say Brisbane, but Queensland, has been doing so for quite some time, uh, would it also be fair to say then that that 30000 results in a, a much higher borrowing rate for the first home buyer as well? Because, yeah, they're getting an extra stimulus to help them at the, the deposit stage, ideally, but then the house prices are increased... In oh, relative I, sense, I, I so surely that, they're having to borrow more on the other end. I think that explains why the property market rises by more than the grant on offer. So they, account for the how, banks how it increased well. at seven thousand, but they rose ten to twenty thousand. Rudd's put it at fourteen thousand, and property prices have risen somewhere between twenty and thirty. And now this one at thirty thousand dollar grant from the Queensland government will push property prices up. In my opinion, happy to be proven wrong by fifty to sixty thousand. Yeah, and of course, the yeah, you have to offset the cost of the banks and then the lending costs and everything else that comes with it. I, I cannot see uh, how it's a good policy. I think it's it's smoke and mirrors, right? And I think you're exactly right that it's politicking and it's uh, it's an opportunity for this government to say, hey, look, we've got all this money for you. We can help you out of a crisis. You should definitely vote for us. And the thing from a first home, what I'd say to a Queensland first home buyer, and hopefully we don't see a version of this unnecessarily come into being in New South Wales, but if there's a grant on offer or free money from the government on offer, if you don't take it, someone else will. And if you don't take it, you're still going to be responsible for paying it back. Of course, yeah, it's taxpayer money, right? It's taxpayer money. Interestingly, the New South Wales government uh, is not increasing the first homeowners grant to my knowledge at this stage, but they have come up with an interesting solution I'd really love to get your thoughts on. We've talked 
pretty extensively about the supply crisis here in New South Wales. We've also spoken previously about uh, Chris Minns and his goals in trying to reclaim some cityscape and, and do some work there and build some affordable housing and et cetera, et cetera. I read just this week that one of the things they're trialling is a patent book for developments in the state uh, and they're looking to effectively approve a series of designs at a state level and say this is what we're going to approve and fast track for the supply crisis. Surely uh, it sounds like a great idea in premise but uh, given your experience and long-term sort of time in the market, can you see any negatives or downsides to this approach? Well, I think the first takeout from Min's announcing that is there's no plans to back off on immigration. Of that's, course not. That's, that's the first takeout there. Well, some people are calling for that. Um, but that's clearly if, – if, if the state government are gearing up the way that you've just outlined, um, there'll be no back off on, 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 on immigration. Um, so if you're not going to back off on immigration, you need to have a radical plan that gets – stock to market as quickly as possible and practically. What is also coming out in the debate around housing issues is what a blockage local councils are and have been and will continue to be if they're allowed to be. So I'd need to look closer at what's being proposed in the scheme that you've just put forward. But what I would say in favour, if we are going to have a strong immigration policy. We need a strong housing policy. So if you're going to work those two back to back, the state government must overrule and be able to sideline local councils. Now, if that doesn't work for you as a, as a constituent and as a voter, that's fine. You need to change the political discussion and cut down the immigration numbers because we cannot have the immigrants coming into this country on the housing numbers as they exist. We either have a softer immigration target, lower immigration target, or a higher housing target. But you can't have existing housing arrangements with the same with a, with a high immigration policy. That's where I land on it at the moment, on the information that we know about. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like they've got a template for building, you know, and pardon this loose analogy, but they've got a template for building, you know, large Lego bricks, and that's great. You can build plenty of bricks and you can make a bathtub. But if the tap is on at full speed at a flow rate that they can't stop, then you still can't build bricks quick enough to, to keep all the water in. And that's exactly what's happening. Uh, and I think you're exactly right. It's it's fine to have immigration numbers if the infrastructure can support it. And we've spoken about that at length before. Uh, but this is, you know, it's interesting. One of the the, the reasons or the, the recommendations that Paul Scully, the planning minister, made with this patent book was, well, look at beautiful inner west suburbs like Haberfield. They were patent book designs, right? Which is why they all look very similar and they're beautiful suburbs. But I feel like the last 10 or 15 years of, of Sydney development of real estate has collectively shown that cookie-cutter designs that are built rapidly for populations usually end up in problems. And I, I can't see how this is going to be a great solution, as you say, with so many people coming in, irrespective of where they're coming from. Approvals to build lots of extra supply is a good thing. Who's going to build that supply is the next thing. And what oversight will there be? Well, exactly. Yeah, so there's approving the supply and then building the supply. The government have a plan to approve the supply and that, that involves sidelining councils. As I say, if someone's listening to this and they're up in arms about it, that's fine. Just vote for a lower immigration political party at the next election. I don't think it'll be either of the majors because this is how they're cooking the books in terms of keeping the economic numbers 
with a high and positive reading, but that's the reality of where we're at at the moment. Do you think that uh, as a, a sort of final point on this issue, if they were to sideline councils and have success building these, you know, large supply numbers with with good safety and, and completion and all that kind of thing, do you think there is a risk that councils could end up being permanently sidelined from development decisions? Uh, look, housing is becoming such a political hot potato issue at the moment and it's going to cripple both state labour and federal labour if they don't do something and do something soon. So they either have to back on back off on immigration or come up with a serious, not, not you know, approving a duplex here and there, they need to come up with a serious en masse housing solution to house the people that they're allowing coming, coming into our country. Well, let's hope they can do it, Peter, or it's certainly going to be rough for the rest of us. Uh, as always, Peter, it's been a really, really great chat today. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we've definitely talked about some pretty interesting and diverse topics. And as always, I encourage our listeners out there, if you do have a topic you're interested in, please reach out to us here at Harris Partners or at Current Market Insights. Uh, but if not, we're going to end it there. Looking forward to chatting to you all next week. Peter, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Current Market Insights. Thanks for joining us on the Current Market Insights podcast. Brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. The podcast providing real estate insights you won't find anywhere else.